The scripture this morning is short but significant. It comes from the beginning of Jesus' ministry. It is in the first chapter of Mark, verse 9 through 11. At that time, he came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. As he came out of the water, he saw the heavens torn open and the Holy Spirit descended upon him like a dove. And a voice spoke from heaven, you are my son whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Be seated, please. It was more than 50 years ago, and the churches in Great Britain had a major problem. They had sent a large number of missionaries through the years over to India. And what they were finding is first one by one, and now almost in droves, the missionaries were coming back from India, uh, leaving their posts, coming back to Great Britain. Not only were they leaving being missionaries, they were all dropping out of the church entirely. They had gone from missionaries to atheists almost, and the church knew they had a problem. So they tried to figure out what was going on, and so they commissioned a clinical psychologist and a Christian named Dr. Frank Lake to go over to India and interview the missionaries that were still there and try to diagnose what was happening. So Lake went over, and as God would have it, uh, when he first got to India, he met a very famous theologian from Switzerland. His name was Emil Brunner. And they agreed that before Lake would begin the mission that the church had him on, that they would spend some time in retreat. And they agreed on a weekend retreat. And the sole purpose of the weekend retreat would be for the two of them to work all the way through the Gospel of Mark. Because if they were going to invite missionaries and themselves to be more like Jesus, they needed a sense of what Jesus' life was like. Well, it must have been an amazing weekend because they only made it through two chapters. And what came out of those two chapters was something that became the foundation of a book in 1966 called Clinical Theology by Dr. Frank Lake. And what was in that book has been a game changer, not just for missionaries, not just for pastors, but for Christians of all types who want to be a part of what God is doing in the world and and to assist God in making a difference in the world. And the game changer is found on the bulletin insert that Matt pointed out during the announcement. So if you'd like to follow along this morning, I invite you to pull out this sheet of paper that's entitled The Dynamic Cycle. Actually, Lake's full title was The Dynamic Cycle of Well-Being. I shared with you a couple of weeks ago that for years and years and years, I had heard that I was a beloved son of God, that I was a child of God, I was special, I, I had worth. But the journey from hearing that and getting in my head to my heart was a very long journey. And I reminded you that much like the blind man in Mark 8, that Jesus had to touch on at least two occasions for him to get his sight cleared up. Then on numerous occasions, God has had to touch me so that I could move from an awareness of my acceptance and love in Christ here to actually living it out of my heart into my hands and feet. One of those moments where God touched my blind eyes took place uh, seven years ago in the west wing of our church in the seminar room. 
in 2006. We had a guest speaker at a conference. His name was uh, Trevor Hudson. He was from South Africa. And the topic was very interesting to me. It was uh, basically, the, it was a, a lecture for, um, for church leaders and pastors who are tired of it all. Church leaders and pastors who, before you throw in the towel and give it all up, uh, and, and he was lecturing, and he used as the basis of his lecture this diagram of the dynamic cycle, which Lake um, called the cycle of well-being. So I want to tell you about it because it's been a game changer for me, and, I'm, and I pray that it will be so uh, with the help of the Holy Spirit in your own life. Here's what happened. Bruner and Lake get together, and they look at the first two chapters of Jesus' life. And what they notice is that Jesus' life can be devised in what they call an input phase, things that were going into Jesus, and an output phase, things that were coming out of Jesus. And they saw it on um, what they called a cycle. And this is drawn as a square. I usually draw it as a, as a circle, but whatever will work for you. But you've got input and you've got output. And the theory is this, that there are things that are going into Jesus that are directly um, giving rise to the things that come from Jesus in his ministry. So this is when they began to open the book of Mark chapter 1. This is what they found, that Jesus' ministry as an adult began in acceptance. The very first thing that happens in Jesus' life, according to Mark, is that he hears that God loves him and loves him unconditionally. Before he preaches a sermon, heals somebody, gives a talk, goes um, uh, across Galilee to minister, the very first thing he hears is, you are my son, I love you and I'm proud of you. Jesus is grounded in acceptance. That becomes the beginning point for what he's going to do. And then if you follow along in Mark chapter 1 and 2, then you notice that out of his acceptance, Jesus lives and moves in what they called sustenance. And that is things that Jesus received from God that, that not only confirmed, but reaffirmed this identity as God's son. So, for example, sustenance would be Jesus went to worship. Jesus prayed, Jesus studied, Jesus was in close fellowship, not only with the disciples, but with Peter's mother-in-law and other people in the community. Um, and so we see a number of things being poured into Jesus that confirm and build his identity. His, his roof is, is constructed and strengthened, if we use that metaphor that Audrey introduced to the children. And then, out of that input, then comes output in Jesus' life and ministry. And the first thing that Lake noticed was that Jesus' own being seemed to make a difference. That there was a significance about Jesus as he went into the world. Now, he used the word uh, more than 50 years ago, status. That's been a word that doesn't play real well in, here in America in the 21st century. So I've chosen the word significance. In other words, um, Jesus is a kind of person... That living out of this identity that's been confirmed and strengthened, wherever he goes, he makes a difference just by walking into the situation. Have you ever met somebody like that? Who just by being in the room changed the conversation of the room? That just by walking into your life made you a better person? Jesus had that being, that sense about him that he changed things even before he ever said anything or did anything. And then as you go further around on the cycle, you come to what they called achievement. 
and um, which are the activities that Jesus engaged in, and we're familiar with them. You know, Jesus healed the sick. Jesus performed miracles. Jesus told parables. Jesus preached sermons. Jesus loved on people. All the things we know that Jesus uh, did with his words and and his actions. And he called this achievement. Again, that's a word that doesn't always play well. So, so I've chosen the word fruitfulness. But here's the genius of Lake. And that is that it flowed in this direction that Jesus ministered out of and from acceptance. And got all the way to the things that he did. He didn't do it for acceptance. There's a huge difference between doing what we do, hoping people will accept us. And doing what we do because we are already accepted. Jesus had a roof. He didn't need to grab the umbrellas. He knew every place he went that he was already loved. He was already valued. He was already acceptable. And out of that, he began to reach people in profound ways. And Lake would call this the dynamic cycle of well-being. Others have called it the cycle of grace. And that is you start from acceptance and go to the various things that you do in partnership with God in the world. And if you, uh, if you don't and you work back the other way, Lake called this a cycle of works. And what they found, lo and behold, among all these people who had gone to missionary, be missionaries in India, is they had all gone there hoping they would do something great and therefore they'd feel good about themselves. That other people would love them, accept them, or approve them. They were working for acceptance, not from acceptance. They were working for community, not out of and from a community of love and well-being with God and with others. And it made all the difference in the world. Because uh, the metaphor changes. And if, if, if I could do that, what happens is when you go now for acceptance... You move, in a sense, uh, from living under this roof to living on a treadmill. Now, it's a mixed more metaphor, but I hope you get the point. And that is, when you've got to make people like you, when your identity rests in how others are feeling about you, you're on a treadmill that never stops. You can never do enough to make everyone like you. You can never do enough to, to uh, fail to disappoint someone somewhere. And then when it comes to our relationship with God, what could you ever do that would make God say, wow, that was impressive? When you get on the treadmill from works to try to get to acceptance, it's never ending. It's extremely hard to get off until finally you get tired enough and it throws you off. And that's what happened. Have you everybody, ever seen anybody take a misstep at the gym when they're working out on the treadmill? It's not pretty. And this was what was happening to missionary after missionary. Struggling, working as hard and as fast as they could to, to be approved and to be accepted. And you just, never, you just tire out. You never get there. But Jesus started from acceptance. It just seems to be hardwired into us to want to prove ourselves. Even if we say otherwise, one of my uh, favorite stories comes from John Ortberg. He talked about um, uh, the man that had a, a very successful man, had a son who was a junior in Ivy League school. Spring semester of his junior year, the son wrote home to his dad and said, you know, I've just decided this, this competitive society, this driven nature uh, of the world, this, this dog-eat-dog that's trying to be on top of other people, it's just not working for me. That's not who I am, Dad. 
So I want you to know that I will be leaving school. I'm dropping out and I'm going to India. And I'm going to join an ashram, which is sort of like a spiritual commune. And I'm going to live in the ashram. And I'm going to get away from this American way of life, which chews up so many people. Well, obviously the father was very disappointed to receive the news. Didn't hear from his son for quite some time. Heard from him again in the fall and said, Dad, I just wanted to let you know how things are going. I love it here at the ashram. It is so peaceful. It is so nice to be out of that environment in which I was at the school. He said, and actually things are going pretty well for me. Already I'm the number two disciple of the leader, and I think by the spring I can be number one. It just it gets into us. This need to approve, this, this, to be approved, this need to generate our acceptance. It's working backwards. And it leads to workaholism. It leads to approval addiction. I mean, you know, just take, for example, you're with your children or somebody else's at the grocery store and you, you've got them and they act out. What do you do? Do you do what you would normally do to try to work with them? Or do you look around and wonder, what are people going to think if I do X, Y, or Z? I mean, a million times a day, we draw our actions from what we think other people are thinking of us. And the fact of the matter is, most of them probably aren't thinking of us. And even more so, if they are, why are we trying to impress them? They're as screwed up as we are. I mean, this, this approval addiction just doesn't work. It wouldn't have worked for Jesus. It wasn't working for the, the missionaries. And so the right way is we start from the fact that we have a roof, we are grounded in love, and there's nothing that changes that. And out of that freedom, we begin to move in ministry. Second thing that got pointed out to me um, in the West Wing that day, which I thought was very helpful, was that there's a possibility for all of us in Christ who, when we have love poured into us and acceptance poured into us and we live in ways that build that up, that it affects our being so much that we can actually be the kind of people who will change a room by walking into it. That can happen. And you know why that can happen? Because who you are is always more important than what you do. Because what you do comes directly out of who you are. And we can Soaking in the love and the grace and acceptance of God and Christ. Living into our identity as beloved sons and daughters. We can make a difference. Some of you nodded your head when I asked you earlier. Maybe you were shy. but my, The rest of you were shy. But my sense is most all of us have met somebody who changed their life just by walking into a room. And made us a better person. I can't help but remember years ago, there was a White House prayer breakfast, and the guest speaker was Mother Teresa. Mother Teresa got to the microphone and spoke and just jumped all over the President of the United States. Nobody made a move to take her away from the microphone. Why? Because she's Mother Teresa. And who she is went before her into that room. We can become that kind of person. We can become a person whose being actually will make a difference any, before any of our doing. And then there's something else that, that didn't get pointed out that day. So, you know, take this one with a grain of salt. I made this one up myself. 
And that is what I realize is if I'm starting over here in acceptance, and if nothing that I do changes that acceptance, then nothing that I do wrong changes that acceptance either. What this has done is freed me to fail, freed me to take risks, to do some chances, because I know whether it works or not, I'm still loved. Whether you like it or not, I still have a roof. And that has changed me and freed me in incredible ways. A few of you know I've been working on a book for almost a year, so finally I got the rough draft done. And so I gave it to two readers. One, because I knew he'd agree with it. And the other, because I knew he was real nice. Uh, But when I finished, I I was talking with a friend. They said, well, how do you feel that you finally finished that rough draft after a year? And I said, well, I I got two words. I mean, the first is I feel relieved. Finally to get it done. And then I said, and the second word is I feel naked. I feel like I've just like undressed down to my underwear and walked out on stage and said, here, read this. And friends, I could not have made that walk five years ago. I could not have written on that page. Because if you didn't like it or somebody else didn't like it, that would have affected my well-being. But I don't work that direction anymore. I work in the direction that starts with the fact that I am loved, that I am valuable, that I am accepted. And because of that, I can take a chance. Because of that, I can... Try and fail. And even try and succeed. Because success doesn't change me either. There was a business consultant some years ago out of Dallas who was a Christian. And they asked him, you know, what what would hell be for you? And his response I thought was interesting. He said, hell would be this. That after I die, God takes me into a room and shows me everything that could have happened if I would have risked just a little bit more. I don't want that kind of hell. Not because I won't be approved, but because acceptance is too good not to share. It's too wonderful not to have passed through you to others. The things that could happen for others if we just took one more chance, knowing that taking that chance doesn't change our value at all. Knowing that we are free and forever free and will never go back to not being free frees us to do whatever God has put on our heart to do. Some of you may remember that around the time of the uh, movie um, Lincoln, I came across a story from uh, about Abraham Lincoln, but it was before he became president. But after he had really gotten stirred up and awakened to the problem of slavery in America, It seems that Lincoln went down to a slave auction and bought a young woman for the expressed purpose of freeing her. So he bought her and told her, you're free. And she said, what? He said, well, you're free, free to go. And she said, you mean I'm free to do whatever I want and go wherever I want to go? And Lincoln said, yes, you're free. And the young former slave girl looked at Abraham Lincoln and said, then I choose to go with you. And I want to serve you. Knowing that we are free doesn't mean that we don't do things, serve, love, give, 
But there's a whole different motivation behind it. We no longer love to try to be somebody. We love because we already are somebody.